Welcome to the Square Base Show with me, your host Rob, and my co-host and better host, Val Heffelfinger. In today's show, we are going to be talking about all the things that no one is talking about, the secret techniques of the masters and the things that you'll need to know to prepare yourself for the old world. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I timed it now. I know where we are. I know where it ends. The first time you dropped it on me, I was like, "Where? When does it end?" It was like the first five times. But you know what? <laughs> That's why we've been doing this for so long. Well, also, hello. I love. I love that. I will never give you that music. It's like, no, you can't ever do the show without me. <laughs> never, never. You'll never find it, Rob. I don't. That need music. It. That music was bought in a humble bundle of copyright-free materials. <laughs> I couldn't even find it. If I had to go find it, I couldn't find it. There's no way. It's like there's a thousand dumb songs that I have in my hard drive. I think I, I could pay. Find. I think I could pay eleven dollars for it on Fiverr if I needed. But right. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, uh, Mr. I'll, Man, please recreate this song for me in India. It would be th- good. Thank you. Might so be a little much. sitar in it. I would love um, some sitar in it. I think that would be oh, really man. good. Let's get a remix. <laughs> if, anyone, <laughs> if anyone is out there as a fan, can we get a, uh, like a music producer? Uh, let us yeah. know. Remix our intro. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, before we kind of go any further into the show, uh, I, you know, I said it in the audio intro, but we're going to be talking about so we're going to be talking about some stuff no one talks about. But there's also some amazing news, which obviously uh-huh. is in conjunction with all the other kind of like all the books are coming out. There's an open day coming. There's new miniatures. There's still reviews to go. Everyone's still learning the rules. There's a lot. But so before, many things. But before any of that. I think we need to say thank you to the fact that, um, or to the people that since we last recorded, we've added 5,000 subscribers to our YouTube channel uh, between last recording to this recording, which feels significant. Really? (laughs) Yes. No, could it be that? I mean, it's a lot, but is that much a lot? No, it's that much a lot. Holy. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Rob, for just really sacrificing the body and uh, pushing (laughs) it up. Pushing out that content at great personal expense. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's been it's been very lovely. So thank you for joining the show. Uh, and a lot of the comments have all uh, orientated around the fact that I need to give more, uh, Val, more airtime. So I'm going to do my... Oh. Uh, yeah, they're like, shut up, Rob. Like, stop I haven't talking. Seen, I, haven't, uh, I haven't seen that comment once, but maybe I that, appreciate maybe, that. <laughs> maybe that's just a comment I feel. Yeah, I want to <laughs> shut up. <laughs> like, you, I've told you the past two days, I'm like, please, please, can we do a show? And it's mainly because I don't want to listen to myself anymore. So, Well, well it's funny because like I was saying to you the other day that I, I was feeling a little overexposed at the end of last week because I think we had, a, we had a couple shows where I was, where I was on it. And, uh, and I, I, I was feeling exposed. And you said that, uh, quote, I've burned that circuitry out of my brain. Uh, where, where, I guess that's what happens when you live on the internet for eight years or whatever it's been. So, uh, yeah, uh, let's go. Like we, I like your voice. You like my voice. Our, our, our sickness of ourselves cancels each other out. We're just a couple guys on an old world bromance about to dive deep and drink from yeah. a cup that runneth over. So much stuff. So much stuff. So much stuff. It's it's a very exciting time. Um, I think maybe between... I'm going to quickly catch up with you, uh, broadcast, because mm-hmm. this is a broadcast and it will always be. Yeah. Uh, so catch up with you. Between uh, last week and this week, in the absolute deluge of information, uh, have, you been, have you been hobbying? Have you put some army lists together? Have you, like, what have you... What, <laughs> what have you been doing? <laughs> I wanted to show off that I cleaned up my room, uh, which was actually... So critical. Everyone knows about the Square Base GT, an outstanding farewell to 8th edition event held at the end of November. 
and uh, I supplied five of the 28 armies, and uh, they all sat in the exact same place. I dropped them until about four days ago. Okay. So <clears throat> I don't know about you, but like when you're, my personal space is completely uh, fucked, uh, I uh, I struggle. And um, and basically I would walk in. And even when I wasn't on the show, I would just green screen my personal space out of existence and just not look behind me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I spent some good time, I think, on Friday, just finally sorting things out, putting things back on shelves, which allowed me to hold all of the all of the delightful minis that I have and, and look at stuff and like... It, you just immediately get so much more excited and everything's more accessible now. Um, and uh, yeah, really turned around my whole attitude about stuff. I actually feel feel a little more keen to actually do something rather than just talk about it. You know? So people are going to feel some guilt and shame at hearing that. And I understand. Why? I've been, I've been, I've been, because everyone's, there's going to be some people who are sat in that situation. Yeah. Like right now. There's hope and, is yeah, what I'm saying. There's hope. Exactly. Exactly. So like, yeah. Like, don't feel the pressure of people like telling you. But if you can, if you can get around to it, if you can face it today, tomorrow, sometime this week, yeah, clean, clean up your, clean up your area a little bit, and you'll feel. You're gonna find, you're gonna find all kinds of things you didn't even know you had. Like, look at this, look at this. I spent like fifty Patreon dollars on this dumb crown. Totally forgot about it. <laughs> Speaking of which, please support us on Patreon. It wasn't fifty. Uh, thank you to everyone who has. Uh, that's very kind. Very very kind. Uh, right. Okay. So um, uh, yes, you've so you've been cleaning up the casita, and then you've been prepping. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about you and me trying to get some games in over the next few weeks. We're going to do a bit of TTS. So if no one knows what yeah. that is. Tabletop Simulator is a, a very cheap game you can get on Steam, uh, and then normally there are modifications for playing every pretty much type of tabletop game, a board game. Uh, a lot of game companies actually use Tabletop Simulator to like do early access playtesting. It's a great little space. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, like Root uh, do like early access stuff, and all of their assets, like the company produces assets, so you can. Yeah, play there, it on there are actually. Yeah, that's right. There, yeah, mo- like I always think of it as sort of a comedian, uh, comedian, uh, community, and bootleg driven system where you sort of create the assets and the community does it. But yeah, that's right. There are some game companies, like I think Zombicide's like officially on there. Like you can buy actual skins and packs and uh, and stuff for it. Um, but yeah, like a 3D, it's basically just like a, the, like a very old 3D engine um, and uh, allows you to um, play games in, uh, in virtual reality that uh, sort of like if you like, if you'd sat on your hands for like six hours and then tried to play miniatures. That's sort of that's sort of what the experience is like at first. But it gets better. It does get better. It's not an experience I actually like. Um, uh, many people know that I like. I do a lot of Age of Sigmar, and there's a really big Age of Sigmar scene that use TTS like to practice, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the teams do that. Um, especially like like America, example Canada as well. Their national oh, teams. They yes. use they use TTS to practice a lot because they can communicate instead of traveling, <clears> you know, hours and days. Uh, but like, I just I just can't like uh, like if I'm gonna sit down with a headset on and play a game, I would like to do something that is not like 2D PlayStation One graphics. Uh, but I like I understand. Uh, it's, at least it's a good tool. It's a good tool. PS3 ish. PS3 ish. I would I would give it I would give it up to PS3 ish. Like okay. uh, like. Like what? Like the the I remember like it was something like the the when they went from PS one to PS two. My favorite game ever, like Madden NFL football. The amount of polygons in the football in the PS two version was the same as the entire like screen in the PS one version. It was a big step up, Rob. Okay, it's a big step up. I apologize. I apologize. Okay, well, apologize. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, um, 
so uh, you've you've been planning that stuff. I um, actually have built pretty much an oh, yeah. army since last week in betwixt. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what? Why? Why? What, what have you? How? What did you build? Uh, the chaos, a, a chaos warriors army. Warriors of chaos army. Um, it's obviously oh, the one you bought. This, this, is an, this is an actual army. And actually, yeah, so I bought, I bought not the, just, not just 3D printed. No, so I 3D printed uh, a dwarf army. I'm in the process oh. of still 3D printing a Bretonian army. That takes much longer than a dwarf because you printed like two horses for every, uh, <laughs> for every like 30 dwarf warriors. So, like, it's yes. like, very different. Um, yes. So, yeah, did a whole dwarf army and that's good. And then locked in for a chaos uh, army as well. And that's mainly just because uh, a couple of weeks ago I ran an event and someone traded me doing like one 3D print for them. They gave me like 40 warriors and I was like, I guess I'll do this then, like mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so that's been really fun, um, and I, I went on the scalp for some like uh, special um, uh, marauders. My marauders are going to be the prettiest marauders that die very quickly you've ever seen, uh, like <laughs> which is which is really fun. So you went on the scalp. So what have, what have you? Because marauders are some of the goofiest ass like still in production plastic kits around yeah. so are you using are you using genuine marauders yeah, so or is there a cool barbarian or something like that out there that you can grab so games workshop have this uh set of uh, set of like they have war cry which is a game so then they release right. like they're kind of like kill teams there's normally like a pack of 10 something war, war cry is indeed a game yes yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes it is uh but they do like packs of 10 um and then they've got a lot of chaos war bands and the ones that i particularly wanted were called scions of the flame which then turned out were like sold out um and I <laughs> right. made, okay. uh, which is i was annoyed but i'm able to like source them from different local gaming stores around the the country slash world uh and then there's also a zinchian war band uh, as well so i'm gonna use the scions probably oh and then i picked up some um uh just they're called chaos legionnaires and they're literally they they look like a a mixture between uh the beastmen and like what you would expect a chaos marauder to be and the models are absolutely stunning that's all i can say like i was like putting them together and i was like because you know chaos legionnaires came out i think last year signs of the flame i think came out last year and i reckon okay. both of them are just and i was just hyped because i'm going to use some of them as like characters uh, i'm going to use some of them as wizards i'm going to use some of them as bsbs going to use some of them as chaos champions um so i've got like a bunch of like different sculpts as well so i'm happy with that i'm, I'm really chuffed and then i put like 10 nights oh man together. these guys are sick how good are they how good are they? Which one I'm looking, are you looking at the at? chaos right now, folks. I'm looking at the chaos legionnaires. These they're guys good. are fantastic. Yeah, really good, really good. And they don't have all like matching weapons or whatever. But I'm just gonna be like, that unit has this weapon loadout. And if someone's like, yeah. I can't tell because of WYSIWYG, and I'm like, you might be too stupid to play. Like, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> when, when someone protests, uh, when someone makes a protest about something with your army, just just mercilessly call them stupid. Uh, <laughs> But I Go do have a couple of problems. Directly <laughs> straw man on that. <laughs> You're not gaslighting me. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, so then, um, yeah, so I, I was able to put that together. That's because I was barbacking this weekend, the Ninth Age Masters. So this weekend, um, uh, obviously, I run a gaming venue in Nottingham called the TSN Arena. And then the Ninth Age, which was, if you don't know, when the old world blew up, loads of people went into different directions. We did a show on this. Yep. It's on the War, uh, Honest Wargamer streams. Val did a great show on this where he kind of talked about what happened to the community's post. The first show, as a matter of fact. It was a great show. It was the Road to the Old World first episode. Mm. Road, road, road to the old world Thursdays first episode, but yes, and the the ninth age people it was a bit of a bit of a uh, uh, a living wake. 
for for Ninth Age. You, you felt, I think. Yeah, it was. Uh, so it just it was just it's Ninth Age is kind of like it's literally Eighth Edition Warhammer Fantasy Battle with a bunch of stuff stripped out. Uh, they're very obsessed with balance, and the game is much more balanced. They do community. Um, uh, editions. There's a new edition. Third edition is out in the summer. Um, everyone was lovely. It was really good. But the kind of moment at the end was like kind of tragic, to be honest. Because obviously, mm. I don't. I don't play Ninth Age. I've never played Ninth Age. But I understood roughly what was happening because it very much looked like Warhammer Fantasy Battle. It was the same armies. Someone had a Warriors yep. of Chaos army, you know. And so I was like, I was like, I understand everything that's happening, but understand nothing. It was kind of an odd experience. So we talked right. a lot. We talked. To, I talked to the different people there who are, you know, this was the Masters event, so these were the better players in the UK, um, you know, and they play a lot. They go to the ETC, which is the European Team Championships, and they've done that for years. So these are like lifers, basically, for square basing and playing war mm-hmm. games. Um, and at the end of the event, when they were, like, doing the awards, they were kind of like, you know, the uh, Craig who was running it was like, I don't know if we'll see you next year. Like, I don't know what oh man like like, and it was it was honestly like there was like a yeah. real emotion to it where they were like you know and that happened all weekend they were like i don't know what's going to happen like i'll try it i'll not try it um you know they talked about the fact that no new people ever entered into um the scene because it was like there was no real pathway into the scene if that makes sense because like you know yeah. unless someone locally happened to be playing night age uh, which is a great thing about Old World, I think. I think one of the great things about Old World is we're going to get loads of new people in who've never square bassed in their life. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, uh, but, I think yeah. so too. So it's just a sad, it was sad. Like, it was kind of heartfelt. And also, like, I could really feel a little bit of enmity as well, which was deserved. This is a group of people who after, you know, who play Warhammer Fantasy Battle to a degree, pretty seriously, pretty avidly, and then Games Workshop took that away from them was like, no. Like that doesn't exist now, and they were like, "Okay, we'll go on our way and we'll do our own thing, you know, yes. and, and we'll move on." And they, they've had really big events. Like sometimes they have hundred people events and stuff. Um, and then uh, you get towards, and then Games Workshop are like, "We're back. That thing you do now is fuck you." And you're like, yeah. "Whoa!" Whereas when they did Blood Bowl, right, we'll take it from here. We'll <laughs> take it from here, gents. <laughs> do you want to be involved? Absolutely not. And then I think <laughs> one of the things, uh, like with Blood Bowl, the opposite happened where. Um, Games Workshop were very cautious about really releasing Blood Bowl and they talked to and involved the organizing body of Blood Bowl. Anyway, kind of just an interesting thing to happen at the end of, like during all this old world fury. Sorry, that was a long bit, but. No, I think that's, I think that's good. I think there's actually, and and I do feel for a lot of them, there are, there are a lot of sort of square bass and communities that have and games that have sort of popped up in the vacuum of fantasy no longer existing of course there's kings of war uh and uh there's uh, last Ranch kings conquest yeah um you know and the, these games i mean gw has has the ability to just suck the air right out of the room and if these if these if these games don't instantly you know vaporize that's possible mm. um but they, they will certainly take a, a hit as a lot of people immediately stampede back because I, I say this a lot and I think I'll say it again. Uh, people don't necessarily love uh, tabletop war games. They love Warhammer. As a general statement, Warhammer is almost a monopoly on tabletop war gaming in the, just the way you can see it in GW's behavior. Um, um, and that's absurd to say, because obviously there's so many other games out there that you can play, but I just think the brand, <clears throat> the lore, the background, the, the retail support, all that stuff of 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 Warhammer just makes it a very very strong, um, strong force when it enters an area. Um, 
And you've seen basically since, you know, 2017 when GW sort of came out of, or 2016-17 when GW came out of the uh, the ivory tower and started re-engaging with, you know, specialist games, starting with Blood Bowl um, and, you know, re- re-engaging with uh, 40K and and all of its, its core properties. A lot of games that are sort of sprung up and, and filled a lot of the gaps that GW wasn't in just started to dwindle a bit. Um, so it is a bummer, especially if you really, really love that game or that scene. By all means, try and keep it alive. Keep playing. Um, but I, I suspect, you know, at the very least, a good chunk of the core player group will go to the thing that, you know, uh, a lot of people will stampede towards, which is the old world. So also one of yeah, my friends. Nothing one, to celebrate there. That's a bit of a bummer. One of my friends also uh, made what I think was an excellent point because uh, I think I'm going to put a team event on at the TSN Arena. A couple of my friends who are in Age of my teams are like, Rob, do a team event. I really want to do a team event. I was like, yeah, okay. We'll put one in the schedule. So I booked one in. And then my other friend who's a bit of an old world maestro already, um, uh, could be a playtester, who knows? Uh, and then, uh, who knows? And he just wrote back, Rob, no one's going to come. And I was like, why? He's like, they're going to play it once, realize it's incredibly hard, <laughs> and they're going to come back. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, you have little faith. Ye of no. little faith. No. We do this thing not because it is easy, but because it is hard. <laughs> because it is hard. Right, okay, so um, uh, yeah, let's kind of catch up with the news because there's also some news to talk through, which is, I think, stunning and brave. Uh, so <laughs> let's, do, let's do that. Okay, Kill so... Me. Yeah, so the Old World Almanac... Al- Almanac. <laughs> right, so yeah, we've got the Old World Almanac. 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 I've, I've messed up the aspect ratio, that's me. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> um, this new Bretonian Lord was sculpted in 2008. There was an announcement <laughs> yesterday... <laughs> right, okay. The first wave of Warhammer the Old World is out for real this Saturday. A glittering Bretonian host raid against the remorseless undead legions of Kemri. But these aren't the only soldiers, knights, constructs, or nobles coming to the two sides. There are many more classics returning, some of them in their original forms. Others as remasters and select few coming as made-to-order basis, on a made-to-order basis. There are even a few new models coming out, but one of these had longer history than you might expect. In fact, this Bretonian lord on foot and his little helper were actually sculpted in 2008, but never released until now okay <laughs> give me i want to know what everyone's got to say youtube comments tell me what to say twitch chat i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to say what i want to say because it's mean and <laughs> <laughs> but i i my yeah i mean some things you, you could just sort of see like uh, for those of you maybe who are a bit younger joining us me and square base maybe you're thinking what was it like to be in 2008 well the answer is tortured <laughs> okay, it was a, it was a, there was a there was a crisis on. Uh, you know, Obama was just sort of becoming a thing. We were still and we were in the waning days of the Bush administration, and um, and this is that's how it's kind of skewed your worldview, made your hands really big and floppy, flipper like even, and uh, gave cheekbones way way higher in two thousand eight. Um, and some things should have just been left there or maybe used as inspiration for a new mini. Why wouldn't you do that? Um, this was like, maybe they were working on this and (laughs) Oh, eight happened and GW fired everyone, which did happen. So like, just take another crack at it, guys. 
I'm, I'm going to say number one, thank you to Games Workshop, because the memes have been great. I'd like to point some out. Uh, this one where he's a towel is excellent. You can't see this right now, but there's one where he's a, a towel. Uh, there's, no, this, there's this one I photoshopped, which I think is uh, particularly <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, uh, who is that person? Who is that person? That is so bang on. What is that person's name? I can't remember. Is that... There was th this one, which I thought was great, where they had a helmet, and then, um, but like, not to, <laughs> they're like, "Hey, my lord, why do you always want that helmet?" Like, yeah, keep it, keep it on. This is a disaster. Anyway, um, I think there's a couple of things to say about this. I'd like to be really fair to the sculptor because I reckon, yeah, it's not. I reckon, a, I, I reckon the sculptor's been burnt here. Let's assume. I reckon that this is something along the lines of a sculptor apply for a job. Uh, they did a sculpt as kind of like, hey, this, you know, this is this is what I'm doing, um, and then they were like, this is good, this is good, definitely, there's room for improvement, but we can train you up, and like, you know, that's a great start. Stick that in a box. Yeah. We're not going to obviously release that. Don't worry, and no one's going to see this. It's okay. You're just learning. It's a safe space. Yeah, and imagine if 15 years later, then someone was like, <laughs> no, I'll release that, and then. Like some of your earliest work, like some of your earliest podcast, like my earliest podcast, the audio was terrible, right? And so I would be ashamed if people were like, if someone was like, I'm just going to show that now. And I'm like, oh God, uh, please don't. So yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty. I reckon that's a pretty rough, rough experience. Uh, but this is where it gets even better. If I don't mind, if you don't mind me going a little deep on this, this please, awesome, this please. awesome model, love, that's doing a lot of work there, was made in 2008. Mm -hmm explains old world lead Rob. So he's the boss. Okay. It was shown at Games Day around then in a cabinet of greens. As we were writing the new game, someone remembered the miniature and inquired if it was still around. The mold room still had it, but had never been pressed in rubber as far as we could tell. And they kindly made a new master and production mold so we could release it in metal. Now, I would say that some of the people who have been very anti the old world, they've been like, you know, and some of those criticisms have been very fair. Like, I'm not going to buy minis that are 25 years old. You know, like, I can't believe that they've marked up the price. You know, this other stuff. And the most consistent one I've seen is, it's just like they found stuff in a drawer and started releasing it. Like, and I've been like, yes, they at least haven't done that. Don't be stupid. But then to post <laughs> an article to say, we literally found stuff in a drawer and then released it. <laughs> You know what's <laughs> um, what what's fascinating uh, is also that for years, like years and years and years, maybe because of this guy, there were rumors of Games Workshop having Bretonian plastic kits having having been redone and like ready to go, and they were mothballed and killed. So where are their plastic kits, G Dubs? Maybe maybe we'll get. Maybe once once uh, the initial wave's over, they'll be like, psych, here's the real kits. We just needed to sell more of those to make you feel bad about yourself. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, Anywho, I mean, this guy speaks for himself. I mean, he's <sighs> definitely looks like... Was that... Uh, I'm looking Versace. Who who's who's the woman that you 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 photoshopped? I can't on, remember. On the... I can't remember. But my favorite bit about she's this... like a, she's like a fashion icon. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yes. I think she's Tigress from the Hunger Games. Um, the, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite is that the squire's nose begins above his eyebrows. It's like middle Indeed. of the forehead. It's just absolutely. Well, I mean, it's a peasant stock, you know. I think this is. Um, I think they've. I think they've. Hardy people. I think this is a real rough ride for the sculptors and then to be presented yes. out in front of the world. And then also a little bit of a rough ride for the community as well. You know, for, for maybe, the, maybe, 
actually is is a like guarded is, is a bit of a shot across the bow from management just like right so you want to be credited for your work do you okay well this is what we're gonna do. <laughs> we've got the we've got the goods on you <laughs> we got the goods so let's see who wants credit for this huh who wants credit for this guys <laughs> oh, i had some serious just stuff some, there just, just some terrified sculptor in a room just shaking. We should have probably cleared this. Like, 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 uh, I, I feel like uh, Squarebase intern is probably uh, aware of the origins of this. Have we, have we checked in? We should, is, is there, is there a way like rather than sh- continuing to shred some, someone who probably went on to be one of the greatest sculptors of all times? I, I think, um, I think, I think my backstory uh, for said sculpt is probably close to accurate. And this was probably something they used to apply for a job. Um, Got it. Uh, and so I think that I think it's I think it feels like obviously it's created some hilarity in the community, and I think it's probably ultimately done a disservice to the sculptor. It's done a disservice to the community. It's done a disservice. Like they would to want the- another crack. Like, I mean, like just let me take uh, faces and hands are really hard. Like, look how beautiful the cloak is, the shield. Excellent. Um, just really, really nice. Like the general proportions. You got the little watcher and the dark guy. I mean, there's there's like there's lots going on here, but norm these days GW would usually take a model that's a little bit derped and uh, use it as an inspiration for oh I don't know a Forge World resin resculpt. Why yeah. don't we do that? Why also, don't we do that? Also, it was done pre CAD, so this is like this is literally we did this in an old technique which we don't as a company do anymore. Or I don't think that I don't know that's not true. I actually don't know if no one there does hand sculpting, but I think it's all CAD. Um, and all done in like things like Blender and stuff. Anyway, we'll continue because there's some really good like got like gossip in the comments. If you actually, re- yeah. I think everyone is everyone is really focused on the picture, but they haven't read. We literally found this in a drawer <laughs> and released it, <laughs> yeah. and no one's lo- like, okay, Martin, who originally sculpted the Lord, fucking R- Martin, my love to you, Martin. I'm, I'm Martin. sure you're, I'm Martin. I'm sure you're an amazing sculptor, and I'm sure you're probably <laughs> a little very up- surprised to learn that <laughs> Lord would be. Were you what? What? <laughs> Which law? No. What? <laughs> anyway, Martin, uh, my love to you. I would like Square Bast. We'd like to use some of the Patreon money to send Martin a cake. If there's a yeah. if there's a way for us to do that, then. Uh, anyway, was very surprised to learn that his Lord would be released after all this time. Surprised feels like a massive understatement. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was fourteen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was proud to make it and I have a soft spot for it having personally worked on the trebuchet and crew and a golden demon entry featuring said trebuchet I do like the Bretonian range uh, and background uh, so it does feel like um, he was hired after kind of like doing some golden demon stuff he was made Beautiful. in modeling putty with sculpting tools uh, I wanted to do a lord on foot as all of our night models were mounted he was intended to be a games day exclusive miniature but in the end another model replaced him exalted hero of chaos games day 2009 so after more than 15 years in the back of the citadel closet like this is so embarrassing that this statement is being made so after more than 15 years in the back of the citadel closet we decided to produce it and sell it to you fucking schmooks like well i mean okay well hold on hold aside from the fact that like again it was a work probably a draft or a work in progress um like for example we see immediately same era another piece of output from uh from from this the sculptor for a pretty classic um games day mini i remember this guy for sure um 
you know, like, I mean, it's not, it's cool to like take stuff out of the archives and like, oh, here's some secret stuff we were sitting on. It is kind of neat. I don't think that's, I mean, the Beatles keep releasing albums. I mean, this is kind of like, <laughs> I've been kind of like that. I've, right? been to, I've been to Hologram Abba. Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, I feel like this could have been sculpted by John Lennon, who was not a miniature sculptor. <laughs> But anyway, okay, we got, I mean, okay, cool. All right, what else do we, I don't, poor Martin. Martin, I'm so sorry. Although, yeah. yeah. Love to mind. I, shouldn't, I, I can't, I, like, obviously I can't sculpt that. Uh, and, uh, and like, again, it's mostly the flipper hands that yeah. give me, they just kind of make my, you know, a little un unsettling to me. Or unsettling. I, I, I think the idea is, is like, I agree with you. And I think there'll be some old hammer people who'll be like, Rob, I love the old hammer stuff. And I'm like, I understand that. I do, I do, I do. I just think this early into a release, like if six months down the line, year down the line, you were like, yo, we're going to do like an old hammer release of stuff for the old world as well. Uh, but, you know, kind of like jumping off the back of my conversation ninth age earlier, like I, I, I definitely feel feel all the people returning to the hobby who were into it when they were younger or like returning or uh, welcome super happy to have you here that's great but i was thinking there's a bunch of new people and i think a bunch of new people are gonna be like what the what the which would makes for great conversations as well like you know they walk into a room and they're like this obviously sucks and then they're all they all have people's like you don't even know what sucks let me show you this mini <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's a good chat. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, and while there might not be, uh, while there might not be un other unreleased models coming to Warhammer, the old world, he's far from the only rarity to return. Many factions will receive a few surprises in this vein. Can we not have a few surprises in this vein? Is that okay? Surprises, yes. <laughs> this vein, no. <laughs> Slightly different vein, please. <laughs> yeah, just to go somewhere else. Pick another vein. Any yeah. other vein, really. And this isn't the only noble knight on foot mustering uh, for the kingdom of Britonia. Uh, it's rare to release a new model in metal, Rob adds. <laughs> the last was a warg attack. Anyway, anyway. Uh, but it's also in metal, which is the <laughs> it's even worse. Uh, okay. So that's the kind of news, um, which I think has set the internet on fire a little bit. Everyone's had a great time with this, I think. But it was a good time. It was a good time. Good time. Good time. Okay. Uh, do let us know what you think of the model in the comments. Um, I, I personally would have just liked to have seen a re-sculpted Bretonian Lord, personally. Oh, apparently there's a tidbit at the bottom. What was the tidbit at the bottom? Okay. Oh, like there's... Um... Oh, no, yes, there is. There is. Sorry, I should say this. Um uh, wait, where is it? We also got some further exciting reveals this week. Uh, so this is at the bottom. Those lucky enough to attend the Warhammer, the old world launch event at Warhammer World in Nottingham, uh -huh. which I will be going to. So if anyone wants to come and meet up with one half of the Square Bast uh, fandom, uh, which is me, uh, then I oh, shall... Oh, you're going? Yeah, I've already booked tickets. I'm ready. Yeah? I'll be live. I'll be live. Oh, I won't be live. You're not allowed to record. Also, I'm Dramatis <clears> Personae. <throat> like, no, not that. Like, non-communicado. So, like, I'll be... Watch like a hawk. Yeah, other people would be able to like just, sneak a couple of cheeky camera shots. Nothing. Oh, I see. I yeah, have to be just, just best behavior. Just dress as like a very like uh, discreet skaven. Like just go as a skaven in a trench coat uh, with like a like a big old like detective hat on or something. I think you could make it work. Just a six and a half foot tall rat wandering around. <laughs> yeah, just do cosplay. They'll never know. Um, <laughs> but yes, there's going to be a, a release for the next army due for release. And for those who can't make Nottingham, we'll have details of Warhammer community. And we think it's dwarfs because obviously we've already seen dwarf dice. Yeah. So, yeah, I, seen dwarf dice. Yeah. so I think the dwarf <laughs> dice is kind of maybe push their hand. Probably because I've worked several Warhammer weekenders. I would like everyone to know at Working Games Workshop. I've also attended several. Um, they are not good anymore. <laughs> 
Um, because, well, back in the day, so the way that they used to work is you had all the creatives, literally, yeah. and then you would go to like, you would go over to the Forge World store and then, you know, you'd have someone there explaining the minis they sculpted, what they're working on. You go to the Middle Earth store, they'd be explaining what they're working on. You know, they'd be like, this is how I did it. They'll show you like, you know, some uh, fold outs and some other stuff is great. But creatives are no longer allowed to work at those events, which is obviously... Is that is that true for SDS as well? True for SDS as well. Yeah, so like, oh. so like at the Heresy Weekender, it's like, it's, again, it's corporate games workshop, isn't it? They are they are terrible. I'll never shy away from that. Like so, like the Horacy Horus Heresy launch event last year, none of the creatives were allowed to work um, at the event. We haven't really seen like I mean, with the release of of Old World, like although they are just using first names, which is so funny. Um, also, actually, but when I say funny, what I mean is uh, sad and pathetic mm. uh, that they won't name the people who make their things. Um, but um, very they have been they they have been very front and center with the creatives. It would be shocking to me if these people um, weren't also like allowed to be present. Maybe they'll all be dressed in cosplay and skating. <laughs> maybe me, that's how. Just maybe they'll just be SDS. like a giant like just like a giant like GW mascot. You don't realize that it's actually uh, JTY in there. Like he's he's just he's like just a like a, a G- Games Workshop logo. I'm like, hi kids, welcome to Games Workshop. And like that's that's how you get to meet the creatives. They're just in big stuffy costumes. <laughs> that's my theory. Um, uh, it's yeah. a bit, it's a huge shame. But there is going to be we know several of the like the influencers are going to be there, which is kind of such a weird flex, right? Like they have an outside external influencer, so we know the mini wargaming people will be there, and they will be like showcased around, and they're running events and doing stalls and stuff. And then you go over to like, and I'm like, but I can't meet an actual. And it's obviously to suppress their wages and suppress their, you know, like suppress their interaction with the community. Like if they were to build up a name, then they yeah. may. Potentially- yeah, they don't. Yeah, they literally do not want because because what happens when you get really good at your job and uh, um, uh, demonstrate an ability to generate profit and revenue uh, as, as from your labor, sometimes you realize, hey, maybe it would be worthwhile for them to pay me more so that way I'm satisfied and able to stay at the company I love and have dedicated uh, a large part of my life at. And to which they say, absolutely not. We're not going to do that. Get stuffed. And then those people then can go out and they can, because they have built up a, a name around themselves and, and a brand, looking at Duncan Rhodes, uh, various other rogues as well. Uh, no, um, but, but, but those people, those people, those people didn't leave categorically. They wanted to. They, they wanted to stay. They wanted to stay. They have, yes. were abused in their positions of work yes. to the point where they felt uncomfortable to stay. That's just yes. let's just be clear. So like it's yes. just it's unfortunate. Like anyway, like, I don't want to even if it was just but even if it was just straight economics. Those are people who who clearly were 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 do it were were worthwhile people to who were who were passionate, excellent ambassadors of the brand, and who could have stayed if working conditions were improved, and that includes compensation. Um, and instead they left. And the way GW has responded to this is not to be um, um, look in the mirror and say, why are we losing our top tier talent? And let's fix those problems. They, instead, they said, the reason we're losing our top tier talent is because they're not team players. So we got to make it so uh, no one uh, establishes a name above 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 uh, the brand. Mm. And that's that's just that's just like literally psychotic stuff and, and really sad. Um, so. Yeah. Sorry to bum everyone out. 
uh, like in what is normally fun, upbeat. Uh, but you know, I'll be there. I'm going to go say hello. I'm going to go see what the army is. I'm going to try and bomb around. I'm not going to cause a ruck. I'm just going to go have a nice time, try and find some other people who are excited. So if you are going to go to Warhammer Open Day and you'd like to say hi, uh, we'll do some square bass in. Uh, bring your favorite square bass. I'll sign it. Do <laughs> 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 I just sign in a square bass? That'd be so funny. Just bring a pizza box. Bring a big <laughs> yeah. spray painted pizza box, black. And Rob will have like a gold sharpie, and we'll just sign that. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but I'm. Uh, go on. I like I like that the only the the only like GW personalities allowed to be front and center at them are former GW personalities. Uh, that's fantastic. Go and have a great time. I'm so happy that you're going. You might maybe you'll play a little bit of uh, full tilt. Play a little play a little jousting game, perhaps. Listen, I I can't tell you how actually. Like, it's been a while. I've been to I, like, I went to Warhammer Fest last year. It was terrible. Nothing. There was nothing to do. Sorry, that's the other thing I should say is because there's no creatives there. They never have anything to do. Like, there's nothing to do. And if there is something to do, like there is going to be a full tilt table, the queue will be four hours. So. Hey. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Look, the mountain's going to be there. Steve, Steve from Mini Wargaming, he's going to be there running a mega battle or something. So, you know, I'm sure at least two dozen people will get to do that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's stop pooping on stuff. Let's get let's get back on the positivity train. I'm there's ready. still lots of cool stuff that these awesome creatives have created for us, including you, Martin. I feel I'm still feeling bad. I got to be bashed about this. I, I don't like ridiculing Martin's like green green stuff mini yeah, um, so i want to move on and let's 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 shower some praise on the incredible output of of these creatives let's uh, shout out, have... let, yeah let's shout out martin like let's get some youtube comments for martin let's get some love for martin loads of love to martin that's what i said let's find out let's find out I'm, let's find out what else martin has done and sell and 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 prove once and for all what, a, what an amazing sculpture he, he blossomed into yeah uh, all right, so uh, yes. so the the main point of today's show uh, to kind of get us there, uh, and I am worried about time now that I may have kept you, um, is that uh, we there's been there's obviously been a lot of content put been put out there by a bunch of content creators. Well done, everyone at smashing it. Everyone like keeping the hype up. Not the not the old world's already dead. Not you. You suck. Fuck off. Yeah, kiss my ass, goes. Yeah, guys. yeah, yeah. You suck. Um, so there's been also a, stole my bit. I don't like that they stole my bit. <laughs> so the uh, there's been loads of stuff. I've been consuming some of it. I've been deep in the content minds myself, so I haven't really had time to poke my head up and look at stuff. Um, which has been a bit of a shame. But what has been happening is there's been a lot of conversations around the game and Val's put together like kind of like a little deck for some kind of like sneaky points that we haven't yet covered uh, or we don't think has been covered enough or that are important. So we're going to go through those now, which is very fun. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to this. So we're going to start off straight from the top. Um, our first slide for everybody. Uh, oh, we have a deck? There's a have, presentation? There's a presentation. I put it out there. You did this. You've done it. This is great. So kick us Excellent. off. Excellent. Kick us off with the first point. What are you thinking? What, what's been going on? And also, like, do you want to talk about the stuff you have been consuming or any of that first? Um, well, okay, actually, yeah, so uh, I will do, I'm going to do a bold shout out, Rob. I, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but there are some excellent content creators out there right now, uh, slaying it, um, and it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to name and shame, I'm going to name and shame. One, new audio only podcast, three of my favorite homies, edited even by one of my favorite homies with, I've already made fun of the name, so I'm just going to say it, it's called That Old World Charm, uh, starring former 
co-host of the 40K Adjacent Show, Peter the Falcon Colosimo, a current voice of Warhammer 40,000, Adam Calamari, and one of my delightful cohorts on, on, on Grim After Dark, Danny McDevitt. The three of them are doing a, 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 a basically a review show. Um, I listened to their first episode. Those are three guys you want to hear uh, after you've listened to us. You want to listen to them. Uh, I, I really do want to say that because uh, there was a bit of FOMO when they announced that they wanted to do this really bizarrely in a, in a, in a chat. Um, they're also all hooked up, guys. Uh, so, like, they have early access to everything. So, that's nice. So, I'll be going to them for some early takes to steal uh, and use on this show all the time. Um, <laughs> the, uh, is, it true that the, is, it, is it true that the entire podcast, uh, they're wearing... Uh, they're wearing chaps and cowboy hats. Like, yes, it's, uh, whatever old world charm might mean to you, it's a bit of a Rorschach <laughs> test of a name. Uh, don't know, don't know, don't know. Uh, uh, they, they, the, yeah, uh, I guess down at the uh, Art of War, they don't really, uh, they don't, they don't focus group things. They just, they just go with it. Um, they're very gut driven. Uh, okay, those so, guys have been great. Uh, face, uh, oh, Dwellers Below, who, by the way, shouted Dwellers us out below. a number of times. Dwellers Below uh, They've been fantastic. Yeah. Yes, they're back. These are old school podcasts, too. So, like, there's, these are, you don't have to worry about faces. You can just throw them on in the background. They're great. But uh, Dwellers Below is great because these are some salty ass. And by salty, I just mean old. Uh, like, 8th Ed, 6th Ed, you know, like, fantasy players that had a really great podcast from Australia. Um, and they're back. I remember when I was looking for fantasy content when I when I got into eighth, um, uh, Dwellers Below came up all the time, uh, and they pivoted. I think briefly to AOS before abandoning ship in 2019. So they're uh, they've just turned on their feet again. Their last was like their previous episode before their 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 return episode was 2019, which is amazing. I'm going to shout uh, out. That's it. And, Can and, I shout out someone? I haven't yet. Yeah. I haven't consumed their content, uh, so that seems a bit of an odd shout out to do. Uh, but the, Lord Bloxel. Um, has oh. has well, I'm just going to shout him out because I know he's making a bunch of stuff now, but also tries really hard with his content, uh, puts a lot of effort in, like some actual focus. He's not just reading a book. Uh, you know, he's no. putting some work in and has been an OG before. You know, like a lot of these guys have like started making content post the launch and, and that makes sense. Like, you know, it was real. Like sometimes when there wasn't much to talk about over the past year, I understand that 100%. But Black Seal has been like in, in the ground, on the ground before before the flowers started to bloom. So I think that's worth a shout out. And as I, as have many other content creators, but I'm not certain there's, there's tons more for me to shout out. Anyway, let's crack on, shall we? Crack on. I, would, I, would, I will crack on, but I will say about Lord Blackstill. Yeah. Or even Lord Blackstill. Um, that, uh, <laughs> Please don't be a Tory. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe not the most square, not the most bass, perhaps, but who knows? Who knows? We're just we're just projecting. Uh, no, he was he was like like kind of like me. He got into uh, fantasy after he was dead. Uh, came back to it really. Like he played when he was he was a kid. He is staunchly not doing stuff uh, like uh, reviewing uh, reviewed content like we are. Uh, so again, like us, not hooked up. Uh, so I suspect once we hit the twentieth, you'll see a lot more output for him from him. But his speculation, as far as um, like the way he's been sort of contemplating the, the the almanac releases and leaks and stuff, I think he's been very spot on with with you know his views on like the way imp mechanics might be impacted. He's got some really really great, well thought out takes. So I think that's a great shout out. However, he is super and weird off the top. It's a, it's very bold choice, but he usually comes in. With a with this sort of caricature of an old fantasy player, I'm pretty sure is what he's doing. If you scrub to like, uh, usually around three four minutes, 
he just goes into his presentation mode and he's a he's a professor so he just presents uh you know you maybe will feel a little more comfortable but it, the, the off the top is an acquired taste uh let's uh, <laughs> let us continue let's do it let's do it okay so um let's start, jump us off with slide one then so like this is stuff that's not being talked about stuff you think is important and vital uh hit me up um so uh rob uh, is feeling feeling was feeling a little blue uh because uh you know the Beastman video didn't rock it off like some of the other content that he's done it's still equally amazing and i learned for the first time things about Beastmen, but before there was a forgotten Beastmen uh, overview, there was the first ever edited content posted to this channel, and that was uh, how to win at Warhammer. And Rob, before anyone knew anything about anything, was saying uh, kill points are important to think about because they are the win condition of uh, of all missions uh, that are present in the in the rulebook. Kill points are essentially the core mechanic of how this game is played. So. Um, I think it's important because I don't see really many, if anyone, talking about like a lot of people are very excited about units and factions right now. Lots of overviews coming out left, right and center all over the place. This is going to be a bit of a talk, bringing us back down to earth on some core mechanics. The first one I think that's really important to talk about is how kill points shape how we approach the game. What do you think, Rob? Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, first off, if you haven't watched the Beastman video, I don't want you to watch it just because it hasn't skyrocketed like the others. But you also, should. It's amazing. Uh, out of the four army deep dives I've done so far, it's my favorite. Like, I think there's some real strengths to Wood Elves and Beasts of Chaos, uh, sorry, and Warriors of Chaos. I think Wood Elves, there's some real, int like, you know, it's a gun line, but can I start building an army that's not just a gun line? You know, what can I, like, there are some other builds, you know, and there's some real opportunity to see past the magic arrows and build something really fun. Warriors of Chaos, there's so many different dynamic ways to build different units. There's some stuff that's hyper-efficient, there's some stuff that's not. Um, and then, yeah, there's just a load of layers of stuff that you can stack, which is also super interesting. Empire, which is my video that's going up tomorrow, is actually, in my opinion, the most dull of all of them. Um, and I apologize, you know, kind of like the rules. Like, there's some interesting stuff. There's steam tanks, you know, as an example. And demographics are very, very good. But Beastmen is far and away so far the most dynamic army book. And also the most... I want to play the old world. I'm not an event gamer. Like, even though I think you should go to events and have a good time... Like, but I want to go, at lo you know, once a week, once a month, whatever. I want to go down my local store, play my friend, and I want to have the most hilarious game. Beastman is your book so far. Out of all the books so far, the stuff you can do with that book is 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 hilarious. Like, it's some of it's very very good, and then some of it's just like I'm going to have an amazing time. And there's a lot of, and I got to shout out the rules writers right now. There's some incredibly innovative or layered and stacked rules for some amazing yeah. storytelling. Like, it doesn't even have to, like... It, it, it's impactful, but it's not, like, grossly impactful, but it's funny. Like, and giants are great. <laughs> like, like it is. Like, like I... Like, I, I mean, like, just, like, all of the monsters you go over, like, yeah, it's... it's they seem like a tremendous amount of fun. Uh, like, and uh, each one of the variations on gores... And uh, and basically, <laughs> like everything's named Gore, and like I just shout out to Rob for being able to say Gore in fifty different versions, uh, and 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 it's it's wild. Um, but no, I mean, also I really do love the fact that because of these are these are like Goat Boy surging out of the forest, um, you know, at you, 
Um, I, I do really like how that feels like that's been captured, like the nature of them being able to just come at you from very varying di- directions and things like that. Um, it seems like it seems like it could be a really fun, uh, fun list. Well, this um, also ties into the kill points conversation, right? Because like a lot of people like oh ambushing, they're like, yeah, you're not going to have any impact in the game because you're going to like ambush. You might not turn up. There are ways to mitigate that. There's a chance for a reroll uh, from turn two onwards uh, with the the gore chieftain, but the but. If your points aren't on the board, those can't, they can't shoot your points off. Like can't be you know, killed. Can't be killed. That's already an incredibly strong mechanic. There's there's some really interesting stuff. Really dynamic. Uh, anyway, I just want to shout that out. But the how to kill things um, or kill points. There's loads of factors in here. There's how can I make the killiest thing? And you're like, okay. I'm going to do that. And I talked about that. Let's do Minotaurs. Yeah. Let's, let's stack Minotaurs up. Let's put a Doom Ball in there. Let's give them a frenzy banner. Let's absolutely make these guys psychos that are going to ruin stuff. You're like, okay, cool. Can they survive a hitback? Not really. Like, not really. <laughs> like, and that's kind of okay. Like, that's a War Dancer situation as well from Wood Elves. Same situation. Yeah. It's kind of a situation that you're going to get with like Chaos Spawn, um, which I think are, are, are really fun as well. Like, there's some there's some really good units in the game which are going to do a lot of output, but then are they going to be able to survive being hit back? It's a great question. So, like, kill points. Yeah. So, kill points are super fascinating. So, can you kill? Can you be defensive? Then, if you can be super defensive and super killy, now can you just spend 30 points on a unit to redirect that unit that's like, you know, like, and I was speaking with my friend Jacob yesterday and he was saying like, yeah, I can build the most insane Chaos Dragon Lord. And I was like, yeah, you can. And he's like 800 points. You're like, yeah. And he's like, you're probably never going to kill those 800 points. I'm like, I know. So will they do 800 points with the damage back? Yes or no. But also that's 800 points. It's kind of safe. It's a, I mean, if, if 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 that chaos so this is an interesting thing right like so this is where i think uh in a lot of uh previous games that are kill point heavy you get into the concept of death stars so uh, the reason why you you start to start skewing towards death stars is you want a uh, a unit that has layered rule upon rule upon rule which is going to really oftentimes increase first and foremost their resiliency because if you have a thousand points of your army in a single unit, that is basically an impossible nut to crack. That means that you know your your opponent's playing a thousand points down, or is forced into a situation where their win condition is a stat check. Can you deal with this chaos dragon? Can you get the points out of it? And if the answer is in fact uh, no, I can't, then it becomes much easier for that Death Star army to win. However, if the meta swings to Death Stars, like a Chaos Lord on Dragon then, you know, from a kill points perspective, you have to start thinking, okay, can I pass that stat check? What tools do I have to crack and take down a lunatic on a double-headed dragon? Well, then, but there's there's like another factor. And I think I think the community will be very divided on kill points, especially people returning uh, and playing other game systems. So a couple of things. Number one, that just is the situation. So like, you know, like having legitimate complaints about it, which I think fair are good, but you're, you're already going to be missing, you're going to be missing like the opportunity to start working inside of those parameters. Like that's the situation. Let's suck it up. That's what it is, which is cool. And then you just go, right, okay, now you get into a very interesting metagame because I do think it's interesting. It's also different as well. It's selling a different, like, it's interesting. Is it good? Kind of a great question. But like you're now, you you create a paradigm for what units are doing and then you start to attribute worth. I had someone on one of the YouTube comments be like, you're describing everything as good. 
And I'm like, well, most units have a role. It's actually kind of interesting. Like a chaff unit in the old world is actually very important because a chaff unit is cheap. Like if I put five, you know, chaos dogs or five chaos marauders in front of a 900 point unit with like, you know, a chaos lord in there and a, a wizard and all that other stuff. Like, mm-hmm. Dude, you like I, I don't mind you killing them. <laughs> That's fine. Like that, you know, their job is to be in your way. Uh, and I'm killing all the other stuff around your army while that immovable block while that slower block is getting slowed down. So there's that. I think so like there's there's something to be said too of like if if we're talking kill points, we've touched a lot on out like damage output, the ability to to deal damage. There's also the ability to absorb damage, the ability to tank. So those are two two key things. However, I think there's another there's there are other units in this game. And you're describing one of them, and that's the ability to protect other units, uh, either from damage or from uh, from from you know interacting with things that they don't want to screening or chaff units. Uh, in previous games of uh, fantasy, very very important. I think again, we're going to get into line of sight later, but I think because of the way line of sight works, and also um, you know because of the the kill point heaviness trading. So in this game, you know making sure that you're you know always trading up unit value. Your chaff units are going to be the ones that help you set up those charges and situations where your you know your damage dealers are able to not take but give. So they're going to be your sacrificial units, your pawns, um, and although they are neither able to really absorb nor deal damage in a game of kill points, as long as they're efficient for their points cost, i.e., they have good movement or you get a lot of models out them or or whatever they might have the skirmish special rule, whatever it might be, as long as you get efficiency from other things. Although they are not neither directly a damage dealer or a damage tank, they are really, really key and essential in this. And I think that's probably also an underrated unit category in discussing is just what armies have like very efficient chaff that are good at movement and have uh, you know some really, really good USRs that help them do their job really well, uh, I think is really, really important. Um, and then outside of that, we're going to talk magic on Thursday. Um, but I think magic falls into this. There, then the, you know, the fourth sort of, category would be uh units that buff other units so like things that are going to improve or or take away from a unit's resilient resiliency um uh you know you know the 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 buffing type units or, or debuffing type units that are going to you know level up a you know a, a unit that they are nearby or, or whatever either through magic or abilities the the last thing to kind of say on this subject is, uh, i think is that um it all, it all depends on like what your strategy is going to be like or sorry your where you're playing is what i'm trying to say so me and val we decide we're going to play on a wednesday and we're going to have a laugh we're going to throw some stuff around that's fine does he win or does he lose honestly i don't really con- i don't care do you know what I mean? I'm there to have, a, like, my paradigm in my mind. <laughs> well, my paradigm in my mind is that I'm there to have a good time, learn, and do some stuff. That's pretty much how I think about it. But similarly, I don't need to win by much. I just need to win, right? Sure. That's kind of the that's kind of the trick. Where as an, at an event, if, uh, if events decide to be win-loss draw, so, like, uh, whoever wins... So it's a five-round event. Whoever wins five games is, like, the winner of the event. And then if there's more than one person on five wins, they need a secondary, which will probably be the person who has the most kill point differential, so how many points they beat the opponent by. But this means that, like, uh, you know, you could have a very, like... Uh, defensive static turtley army that you sit in a corner and you always win like 11-9 which means I only beat you by a couple of points that's what a differential is how many points I beat you by it creates if it's more uh, more points it's a bigger differential 
Whereas if you switch it and you go, it's not win-loss draw, it's just differential primary. So then that means that you have to always be smashing your opponent. Now, some people will be like, I don't really like that. And I don't, I've never really understood this, this thought process. They're like, I don't like it when my opponent tries to kill all my stuff. I'm like, it's kind of <laughs> odd, man, because you should be trying to kill all their stuff. But like, and that, that might be a bit of a problem. A couple of things. Number one, that might affect the meta because uh, there might be certain armies that are just always very good at killing lots of stuff and so sure. the, ar the armies in the units that are built to be good at being defensive might actually be generally worse and be less effective if you push that but that does mean that you know it pushes the game to be more killy but also it means the game has to be more engaging like yes. i have to run forward i have to go and get your stuff i can't just sit in a corner and do nothing so there's there's loads to this and it's so complex it needs analyzing and we do obviously have all of the past to take all this information from sure. um uh, you <clears throat> oh know, yeah like so, so actually, this is another thing I think maybe we never touched on, but I think that if you, um, especially if you look back, and it's funny because I, I dove into to eighth edition uh, fantasy, but I feel like if we were to go back and look at some of the concepts around sixth edition and seventh edition, um, especially how people talk about the game and strategize around the game, um, I suspect you're going to find a lot of stuff that translates very well to old world. Um, I might be wrong about that, but it, it, it's kind of worth almost spelunking around. And like, if you're looking for ideas or concepts, I think that's not a bad one is actually looking out to other games, especially if, you know, you're like us and, you know, this is still very theory hammer oriented, maybe you're getting some TTS games or whatever, but then you just want to get a feel for what, what high level play might look like. Um, you know, it might be worthwhile looking at past editions of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. To see this. Anyway, so I just think there's there's so much to this, and this should be your way of like looking at units. You should be like, what mm. is this unit's job? Like a good example would be monsters, right? Like I'm gonna take a monster. Like cool, everyone's gonna take a monster. The, the guy, the other guy with empire, for instance, is gonna take three cannons. I don't know why you're not gonna take three cannons. We'll get to you might not take three mortars in a bit, but you you, you probably will take three cannons. Yeah. Will they definitely kill a, a monster? I don't know, but they give you an opportunity to do it. Um, there's some really fascinating stuff in reviewing an army thinking about how you're going to win with them versus just being like, yeah, they've got 19 attacks at strength seven and weapon yep. skill five. Like that's, that's kind of silly. Um, so anyway. Yeah, I think, well, I guess the idea is, uh, too, is that we focus so much on damage output. I think a lot of the time um, that we don't think enough about resiliency and also we don't think enough about other, other tools. Um, at least me personally, I will often, I shouldn't project everybody. This is also of like things that are interesting to me. So, <laughs> um, that is, that's a big deal to me, uh, which is, you know, focusing on, uh, not just output, but also how is this an actual tool to either protect my kill points or go out and get some, you know, yeah. there we go. Okay. Um, so, uh, next, next slide we got, this is from you. Kill points aren't just from killing, but, uh, why combat mm -hmm. still matters. Nice picture of Johan there. Hey, Johan. Yeah, I want to get Johan in here. So I think uh, a couple things that, you know, first of all, there's the first most jarring thing about War Warhammer Fantasy when you start playing it versus, say, a 40k or an AOS is 100% declaring charges before you do anything else. That is just going to melt your brain. And then <clears throat> after that is realizing, at least in previous editions, and I think people have been getting away from this, and maybe I'm wrong on this take, but I think... Uh, I think there's there's something to be said about uh, a lot of people are are concerned about combats becoming very grindy. And so actually damage output therefore being elevated because in previous editions of the game, a lot of 
lot of, um, yes, there were things that were just raw damage dealers. They would charge into something, just obliterate it, kill everything and move on. That certainly happens and it happens in old world too. But for the most part, what would happen is you would have two units that would engage in combat and one would eventually break and run from that combat and they would be chased down. So like if you break from combat and you flee and then the, your pursuers, you know, roll more than you roll to run away, uh, you are caught and you're run down and killed. The unit is killed. And so that could happen in situations where which is what you, know, you might have... Which, which is what generates kill points. Sorry, we haven't and really that, said this. Like, you yeah. kill a unit, you get that many points, pretty much, but not quite. We'll talk about that in a bit. That's a, that is essentially the case. Um, although, to touch on the kill point conversation, even in like... Um, no, I'm not going to ADHD yet. We're going to stay on this track. Yeah, come on, you got this, um, bud. Uh, but so, like, essentially, a lot of damage dealing really came from the results of combat, and it wasn't about you actually killing every single wound uh, in a lot of cases. It was about you breaking a unit and running it down. Or breaking a unit and then fleeing also allowed you to get kill points if the game ended and the unit was broken. Um, so it wasn't always about, there's 40 wounds in this unit, I gotta deal 40 unsaved wounds to this unit. It was also about, how do I make this thing break and run away? In old world, uh, there are two. Uh, there's there's a new wrinkle to how um, uh, essentially how uh, combats are resolved. Uh, and if you are the loser of combat, instead of it basically being either you pass your 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 break check and you stay, or you fail your break check and you run, we now have two other possible outcomes. One is you are pushed back, so you lose and you basically pass all your checks. You are just pushed back, which means you basically move backwards two inches, and your opponent could decide to either follow up or not. And then there's also the opportunity of you fail your check, uh, but not so bad, and you fall back in good order. Fall back in good order means you do a, a flea roll, um, and you actually do, it's actually a better flea roll because you roll 2d6, pick the highest, and then add your movement. Um, and then you uh, you automatically rally at the end of it. So you're basically, you're, you're falling back and, and regrouping is essentially what's happening with fall back in good order. The combination of that and pushback kind of gives people some concern because that means that very it feels like it's going to be much more rare to break a unit chase it down and kill it and that is a, that is traditionally like i said where a lot of the damage a lot of the killing comes from in mm. in fantasy and so the reason why i want i want to call out a couple things because i think um uh that this is a, a there's a mechanic in here that maybe is a a little misunderstood and b there are some options to mitigate especially fall back in good order um uh, and ways to make it so that uh, a unit cannot fall back in good order, for example. And so we'll always break. Um, so let's just go, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this because this will make it so that it's not just about raw damage dealing output, charging first and whatever. Um, you could theoretically just, you know, win a, win a, win a fight on combat res and still break them and kill them. Mm -hmm. um, so let's have a look. Uh, is, oh, uh, we're probably doing it wrong. Is this the next slide? Yeah, let's go. Let's, we're probably doing it wrong. So this actually, shout out to uh, Mountain Minis. This was actually something he, I don't know if he ever really got to, but I did hear him allude to this. And I was like, oh, what the hell was, what was he talking about here? So Steve was talking about, um, basically, when we're doing our break check um, right now, and I, and I tested Rob on this, and it, and it was true. And I used to do it, I think, wrong, too. I haven't looked at the wording in previous editions. But how we think the break check at the end of combat work is basically... Um, at the end of combat, you add up all, both sides add up the amount of kills that they have, and then they add, uh, a, you know, a bunch of other modifiers and bonuses to the combat result total. So let's say you kill 10 guys, you have a banner, you've got two ranks, 
and uh, and you flank charge the the person. That and would you're be in close ten... order. People, a lot of people are missing that. Close, yeah, close order is another plus one to combat res. So that would have roughly worked out to ten points for ki- for the kills that you did. Uh, one point for your banner. One point for close order. Another two points for uh, for for your banner. I think we're at fourteen points. Let's say there's a flank charge in there. You've you've got fifteen points of of combat resolution. When you hear someone talk about static combat res, static combat res is the combat resolution you get from doing literally nothing. So just standing there, um, like a big unit with lots of ranks and like buffs to their their rank bonus, all that kind of stuff, you know, might have a static combat res of six. Let's say. That means they've got to have six of their dudes killed before they're they're losing essentially. Um, so that's combat res. You compare it to the other other team, and the other teams. Let's say that they wound up with ten. So you've got ten to fifteen is the is the is the score. So the loser obviously scored ten. You scored fifteen. The difference is how many points, Rob? Five. Five points. So you have now one combat by five, or conversely, the opponent has lost it by five. <clears throat> the way I have always done this is then let's say I have a leadership of 10. Uh, I don't of 10. Let's make it easy. My leadership is 10. I have always done this, but you take 10 and you subtract five. I now have to roll. I have to beat five on my break check, which I've always considered to be a leadership check, which is not, it's a break check. <clears throat> I would then need to roll five. If I, if I rolled above five, that would mean I was fleeing from combat and I'm, I'm running away or, um, uh, if I roll under five, I pass it, I stick. That's the way it used to work. Now, how it actually works, and that actually, this actually might be how it used to work too, but how it actually works in this game, and this is important for a couple of reasons, is you roll your 2d6, okay? You roll your 2d6. Let's say you roll a, we're leadership 10, so let's say we roll a 10, okay? We roll a 10 on our 2d6, right? Then we add, the amount we lost combat from, uh, lost combat by, onto that 2d6 dice roll. So that gives us a, 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 I've now failed, like basically now I have a 15, my leadership is 10. That means that I have failed my natural leadership, and that means that I've also failed my modified leadership. I'm running, okay? Now let's say that I, um, let's say that I rolled a six. I think this is probably, no, no, I don't want to roll a six. I want to roll a five, let's say. Let's say I roll a five, I add five, now I have, now I have, um, uh, now I have 10. That means I'm, I'm passing everything. Essentially, what I'm trying to get at here is that the, break, the, the number that you roll on your break check is modified by combat, but the leadership number, that 10, is, is always going to be there, which means um, that you are able, in combat, to really change the math on things by um i think your mic might be off are you trying yeah, to talk yeah. to me sorry i was just saying unless oh. you unless you uh modify it i think that's going to be uh yes. the 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 important thing be, because it's not off a static number and then you reduce and modify that does mean that so like like val saying you add whatever the result is so leadership 10 you add five on top because that's what the difference was between your combats right so that was the difference so 15 however if you now start to modify their leadership down uh and they 
there are multiple ways to do this, and this is, we'll talk more about this later, uh, then that means that that is a significant difference. And so I, similar until this conversation, well, not until this conversation, until a couple of days ago, was in the same boat. I was like, oh, lots of units are going to stick around for a long time and aren't going to be run down. But actually, that's not true. There's going to be a lot of leadership debuffing, I think, generally knocking yes. around. Um, and then you're on a risky, you're on a risky, minus, like, it, like most stuff is like leadership nine, right? So I've got leadership nine, uh, and then I've got a re-roll on that. So as long as I roll that, my unit's not going to get run down and wiped out. Okay, if I have a way to reduce that by two, then immediately that's a seven re-rollable. And that's like a 65% chance, something like that, I think. But like it starts to get really risky as soon as you modify that leadership. Really does. Uh, and it becomes real spicy. I think, I think to summarize, because I got lost in my words, I'm so sorry, all listeners. What I wanted to say there is that the, 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 the combat result is not modifying the leadership. So what that means is that if you can get leadership debuffs that do modify the leadership, you're going to get the ability to make people break and run a lot more frequently. Because if you fail the natural leadership role, so the, the, basically, the, the, um, the, the, basically the, if you fail a break, roll more than your leadership on your break test, you're running. You're, you, you don't have the opportunity to be pushed back. You don't have the opportunity to fall back in good order. You're running. So therefore, modifying leadership, debuffing that in, in, in a number of, there's lots of ways to do it. You mentioned Warriors of Chaos have lots of good ways to do it. I'm sure anywhere you can look, keep your eyes peeled for the ability to debuff leadership because the important thing to take away here is that combat resolution does not modify leadership. You can do that in addition to beating your opponent in combat which is cool. So you get a stacking effect there. You beat them bad in combat and debuff their leadership, they're more likely to break and run. However, there's also some other things as well, uh, which again you brought up, which I think is super important, and shout out to Dickie in the chat, because like unit strength is also super important as well. So mm -hmm. um, like, I think right now, like it's fair to say that like uh, those the infantry blocks can be really buffed up. You can make some really amazing infantry blocks, especially because you have economies of scale. So if I cast a five up ward, I'm going to do it on forty wounds on a forty man brick versus you know like a ten wound cavalry unit as an example. Uh, so there's some really nice economies scale strength weapons extra attacks from frenzy you know you know start to name it you can make some death star sort of situation however the the biggest strength for those units probably is their unit strength because uh you have to double the unit strength in some cases to make units like uh not be able to do uh um uh fall back in good order yeah not fall back in in good order and that's going to be tough uh, that's to, our next slide. Yeah, that's the next slide. Okay, well we'll do that. Let's do that then. Let's go. Uh, but everyone is able to forbigo. Bygo. <laughs> for bygo. For bygo. For bygo. Uh, so, so I think this is actually actually shouting out uh, Lord Blacksill one more time. Uh, he here's one of his big concerns about uh, combats and that they would be very very grindy. Is how do you mitigate fall back in good order? Because falling back in good order essentially means that you know a unit's not breaking and running away has the opportunity to be chased down. They're falling back. They're re regrouping. Yeah, they have. They're going to get charged again. They're vulnerable to other things like shooting if. If you fall back in good order in your opponent's turn, for example, or sorry, in your own turn, um, uh, should, so, we should we should we just point out effectively when two units get into combat, there are two ultimate results: you break and flee, you run down, you, you break and flee, and either your opponent runs down and gets all your points, or they don't. One of mm -hmm. those two, and then the other option is that you just fall back in good order. This is the good option for losing, or be pushed back, or yeah. push back. And I guess there's also win. So there are eff effectively three results from a combat. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and but fall back in good order and pushback are both basically there's two different situations where when you pass your break check, there's if you pass on your so if you've lost combat, but you pass on your um uh on your modified uh, uh leadership value. So that's the the that's the sorry, on your modified number. So that's that is to say you've you've rolled below your actual leadership uh with and without the um the results from combat. Um you can be pushed back. And that's just you move back two inches. The other, the, your opponent doesn't count as charging you if they follow up into you. You just basically move. You move back two inches, and the combat just stays the same from there. Fall back in good order. Like I said, you're, this is a type of a flea maneuver, but you rally at the end and you reform and like you turn back around to face your opponent, giving your opponent the opportunity to charge into you. But even still, you're not being chased down and losing all your points. There is the opportunity to live and fight another day. So it does, again, open up that situation where things might be very grindy. However, uh, fallback in good order uh, is something that can be mitigated by unit strength. And I think one thing that I noticed here that I don't know that I've seen a lot of is that unit strength is calculated per side. So if you charge into, so for, and also in general, uh, just so everyone knows, unit strength is, a, is a, um, a, basically a stat that every... Um, uh, uh, type like a unit type has so infantry for example has a unit strength of one if you have 20 infantry you multiply 20 by one you, your unit strength is 20 essentially is how it goes uh, monstrous infantry have a unit strength of three so if you have three monstrous infantry your unit strength is nine um interestingly um things like a chariot have a unit strength of just base of five uh, which is uh, what you need, for example, to, dis to to charge into the side of someone and disrupt their ranks, which takes away their their rank bonus. Uh, but what I what I find very interesting about this is that um, although yes, you might charge a unit of twenty dudes into a unit of twenty dudes, uh, and you're not grossly outnumbering that person. What this does do is that if you're able to get multiple units charging into combat, and you're, pardon me, able to stack unit strength versus a single single unit. Um, when you win, they no longer have the ability to fall back in good order. If you outnumber your opponent two to one in the combat uh, with regards to your unit strength, if you outnumber them two to one, you are they are no longer able to fall back in good order, which means if they fail, um, either they're modified or they're uh, you know, unmodified break test, um, they're running, they're breaking and fleeing, uh, I, which I think is, is really, really, really key to think about, especially when you're lining up your charges. What's my unit strength here? Is it possible to remove the opportunity for them to fall back in good order? Yeah, and I think also it's worth noting that I think one of the things when you start looking at the rules, you're like, oh my god, cavalry is always just going to be quick. Yeah, it's going to always like cavalry is going to get charges off. It's going to have much more, uh, like much more progressive like threat ranges than infantry all the time. But when it does get into those situations, it's not necessarily going to be able to do uh, like have the unit strength to really to really capitalize on those charges. There's some really nice, nice stuff. I really like first charge because first charge really, uh, if you don't know what first charge is, that means the first time uh, that unit charges in the game, not just the first time they charge ever. Like it's the first time they charge in the game, that's it. And then the bonus is gone. Then they disrupt the enemy unit, meaning their rank bonus won't count. That's awesome. Cause it means you don't want your heavy hitting cavalry unit to charge the chaff because you're wasting that first charge kind of like buff yeah. like so yeah, that so it kind of like while it is a great bonus 
it means that you you know you're going to try and charge the the cavalry like cavalry can do like first turn charges or like you know early game charges but then you're like actually no I really need to be saving that for hitting their large blocks but even when they do that they don't necessarily have the unit strength to really force these things through and it's it's That's really right. it's really interesting there's some very those couple of minutiae really start I really like first charge I think first charge is uh, is some real great game awareness in game design of the ability of movement to be more like stronger give them a mm-hmm. bonus for doing that well and then immediately be like but if there's five dudes in front of you you don't want to charge and they're like oh my god that's so correct so it's it's pretty cool it's really good game design I think yeah, I think so too. And that also creates, again, like looking back at kill points. So just having the damage dealers, because those, if, if they burn their first charge on clearing out some chaff, you know, like your counter chaff, you know, like the way, the way that you actually get the, the, the blocking units out of the way for those, those damage dealers to work uh, is, is like a really key essential ingredient into how you design your army. Uh, otherwise, you're going to blow a lot of like important special rules like first charge on that. Something like first charge, though, also is is about removing static combat res, right? So um, if you were to charge, I think to get back to the um, unit strength conversation here, if you take like a really killy unit and um, you hit, if you if and, and like you charge in, you deal a bunch of damage, they lose by a billion. Um, the issue there is if they have no unmodified leadership um, and they're just passing on their regular leadership value. Um, then they can just fall back in good order because you don't have the unit strength to prevent that from happening. And there's a good chance that now you've blown your charge and like you've used up your charge and um, that unit is not completely dead and they're just a little bit further away from you now and they've reformed and turned to face you. And you're standing there kind of open to either counter charge, being shot at, magic missiles, whatever. And although you've dealt a lot of damage, you haven't got the kill points and um, and you're just sort of waiting to see what happens to your, your guys. They may not even, if, if the fallback in good order role is super good, even though you have swift stride when you're, when you're, when you're trying to chase down uh, the, the fallback in good order move, you may not make it. You might, you might botch that role. You could just be your, your big swinging dick of a damage dealer could just be standing there. So you don't want to be in situations where a unit is able to like take a hit and then fall back and your unit might be stuck in the wind. You want to make sure that if you're, you know, if you're going in there, you have the ability to prevent them from falling back in good order if you can, or you, at least you want to think that way. Because the other thing I think that uh, thinking about all of um, the, like this combat res stuff um, makes important is as you're looking at rules and rules that give you buffs, for example, you might look past something that improves your, improves your unit strength. Like there, maybe there's a banner or something that gives you better unit strength. You might look past something that just like gives a negative one to leadership. Um, whereas those are actually, I think, really powerful mechanics for breaking and killing units. I think they're actually like really, really um, might be gems uh, in, in in dealing stuff. Yeah, I th- um, especially how they combo with other special rules, which we'll talk about in a yes. bit. Uh, but yeah, and then there's so many other things to think about, uh, which I think I think one of the first questions a lot of people have been, uh, I've seen a lot of people online, because a lot of people are like building armies and other stuff, and then they're like, right, Rob. Do I want my units to be five wide? And I'm like, well, this is such an amazing question. Like seven feels good uh, for a bunch of different <laughs> reasons, um, but it could be eight, might be 10. Yeah, like it really, like, again, it's about how your army wants to play. Um, don't forget, you don't have to decide on your army list. You know, you can just have, I mean, there are some stipulations. You can't have more uh, ranks than you are wide. 
So you know, like th- there is some there is some mitigating factors. Um, I really mm-hmm. like the idea that like I don't know if you've you've ranked up uh, two thirty by sixty bases in two ranks, but that is an incredibly wide flank for that cavalry mm-hmm. unit. They do not want to be charged. So there's some really really interesting stuff about just all of those little micros, uh, which we'll try to get to like you know in the future. Um, uh, because because honestly, the answer right now is people are still absorbing how they think it's going to work. If that makes sense. Yeah. And and I think the reason why I really wanted to have this sort of core, this sort of a couple core mechanics chats is because I think um, and hopefully we can get through these these all these things is, is that I think it kind of changes the way you evaluate a, a unit. Like if you're putting all your points into damage dealing, but nothing into like chaff, like that's going to make you very vulnerable to getting like dicked around a lot in fantasy. Um, and by the same thing, if you're all about resiliency, but you have no damage dealing, Actually, I kind of feel like that's better. But anyway, combat to-do list here. I think these are some takeaways that are worth considering. Maybe they'll be a smaller deal than I make them out to be, but I think, again, it is something to consider. Um, so combat to-do list, have higher combat resolution than the other person, kill stuff, make sure you have rank bonuses. Flanking gives you big bonuses. Don't die. Another cool thing uh, about a flank charge in this game that, that I, I noticed I haven't seen anyone talk about is you actually get a higher initiative bonus. So uh, if you charge someone in the front arc, um, you get, and you've charged more than three inches, you get a plus three to your initiative as your bonus for charging. If you do that into the side, you actually can have up to plus four for your initiative bonus. So getting someone in the charge, getting a charge into the rear or the, or, or the side can help uh, mitigate. Maybe if you have a big mismatch on initiative, um, negative which, buffs. Which, sorry, just to add, always strikes last or great weapons, at least put you to initiative one. Right, that's I think, right. I think I think they're both the same. They put it to initiative one, and that's before modifiers. So like right. like so, great weapon dwarfs are not in the terrible position you think they are anymore. Like they are like they're going to be on a flank charge. They're going to be swinging at initiative five, like and there are like spells and there's some abilities that drop initiative by one. So absolutely on a charge, an elf is always going to have higher initiative view, and that's going to be an issue for obviously your front rank getting wiped out. But it is not the situation it once was. I really like that change. Um, it gives a really natural advantage to charging units, and it actually really mitigates what is a stat check problem in old world. High leadership is good. High initiative is great. You know those mm-hmm. those things, and they're normally on elite units anyway. Uh, so like it's it's really good. It's really really good. Like I know that I could have like um, what is it like a dragon ogre shagoth's got an, an innate ability to get a plus one initiative. So. On a charge in a flank with a great weapon, they're going to be at plus five to their initiative one. So they're going to be swinging with a great weapon at initiative six, which is crazy. You know, yeah. so like it, there's some really interesting stuff. Yeah. And like, yeah, so that's something important, I think, big takeaway there is that always strikes last is not actually always strikes last. Uh, like in a lot of other games, it means you strike last. In this game, it just means that you're before modifiers, you start at initiative one. So whether that's through um, buffs from, again, uh, like, um, I don't know, items, abilities, whatever, you're just starting at one and then adding your buffs uh, as opposed to, uh, like, when you're using a great weapon and you have always strikes last or just have that as, as a keyword on you or a USR on you. Um, so, yeah, you're not always striking last and there's a way to get around that, which means you're dealing massive strength. Uh, attacks perhaps first in the initiative step. Yeah, uh, but- at first, which is which is honestly like scary. And but you know what that does? Like that's my favorite thing. My favorite thing about all wargaming is me creating the condition. Does that make sense? So like 
I, you know, chaffed up a unit and blocked it, and mm-hmm. you know, I moved where it was going to go, and then and then I got the charge in, and now I'm swinging with massive great weapons because I did all the movement. That's one of the the beauties of this game is that you can, you are direct you are impacting the stats. It's not my numbers versus your numbers. It's mm-hmm. my skill sets producing the number effect, and that's ah, love that. Give me, let me eat that. I just want to eat that and- up. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and I think Rob has been hot and heavy on this concept. So this is uh, basically fear and terror being uh, two really, really important mechanics. I will say that fear especially, um, I think, is a little bit mitigated by things like immune to psychology, uh, especially the effects that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, and in general, you're going to have a lot of situations where good units that people take will either have immune to psychology or unbreakable or things that make the the impact of having uh, to deal with a fear or terror causing unit um, like less less essential. There are some armies that are just not going to be good at that, and fear and terror, terror is just going to screw them over real hard. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, one thing I really want to point out here, especially on the on the topic of you know you want to like negative like provide negative um, uh, modifiers to your opponent's leadership, is that terror. Um, has a pretty as a rule, and maybe I'll be corrected on this at some future point. Uh, but this sure looks to me that like terror is always good, because the rule on terror is if the winning side of a combat includes one or more units that cause terror, each unit that belongs to the losing side must apply a minus one modifier to its leadership characteristic when making a break test. The reason why I think that is important is that um, there's no language in, for example, immune to psychology. It says that that penalty doesn't apply to you. Yes. Um, there's so like if you are if it's just even if you are a terror causing unit, it sure looks to me like you are not immune to that negative modifier. Um, I might be wrong about this. I just wanted to call it out, but it looks to me no, like terror right. is always good. You're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, what I love about terror as well, like I'm just read it out for people who haven't deep dived it. When a unit causes terror, declares a charge. The charge target must immediately make a leadership test. If the test is failed, it must flee. If this test is passed, it can declare a charge reaction as normal. Huge, because we're talk- going to be talking about chaffing up units. There are going to be some absolutely killy monsters that, especially characters or lords on on monsters, going to be some real issue. They pretty much all predominantly cause terror. Now, when you start having your screens flee and you weren't expecting that, like pushing your screen out beyond, uh, you know, your BSB, uh, and that's why some other rules like warband are great because they're going to be adding to your leadership characteristic on some like there's some units where you're like, oh, it's a warband. Why would I want it to be? It's like because you want plus two to your leadership, so not your leadership six, their leadership eight, because they're going to have to take a terror test. There's and and terror is going to really change the shape of how the game works, and you can have just. Your big block, your you know, a bad roll on your big block, even on a re-roll, is like I'm looking at I don't know whatever a big Death Star of something. Mm-hmm. I'm like I'm I'm charging you. Take a terror test, failed. Another terror test, failed. I don't even have to worry about combat resolution. Now I'm just chasing you. Like this is a this is an this is a stunning. Is it going to happen all the time? No, but it is going to happen. And terror is going to. I think it's very comfortably one of the better stats but there is a lot of immune psychology there's a lot of reroll fear panic and terror tests there's a lot of banners there's a lot of stuff in there but it's a it's a constant so back the, and forth i think so i think so yeah i think the thing that is obviously mitigated a lot in the game and will basically balance out some of like because fear is also a good mechanic but there's just a lot of stuff that's going to not be afraid 
Um, and the other thing is too, is on fear, if you have a higher unit strength than the thing that causes fear, you're not afraid of it, which is really cool. Um, I just want to call out that specifically on immune to psychology, if the majority, so this is the rule that should protect you from terror. If the majority of the models in the unit are immune to psychology, the unit, the unit automatically passes any fear, panic, or terror tests it is required to make. However, the majority of the models the unit have the, uh, that have this special rule, the unit cannot choose to flee as a charge reaction, which is a bit of a problem. Note that the special rule does not make a unit immune to any test made against leadership not stated here. Um, so the point there being that um, none of that mitigates the negative one modifier to leadership that terror provides in combat, which means having a terror-causing monster in the flank or just chipping in damage uh, uh, in the in the in the in the front of a unit is going to make your make it harder for people to pass their break test um, because it's going to be that minus one modifier to leadership no matter what by the looks of it. I haven't seen specific wording that says that. You know, uh, even a, even another terror-causing unit would still be subject to this minus one modifier. Again, this might be just be a gig, maybe this gets fixed, uh, but it is something to to remember that immunopsych um, doesn't make you immune to the negative one modifier, as far as I can tell. There's going to be some uh, there's going to be some spicy games. Imagine streaming a game, top table, round five, yeah, terror charge, and that unit's like oh, failed, just runs. Yeah, like huge, huge moments. <laughs> yes, like yes. Yeah, huge moments. And that's and that's terror bombing. Like that was a big step from again, six ed homies. Don't be mad at me, but I'm pretty sure uh that that terror like bombing, like units uh, like armies that were just built around forcing lots of terror check to make the uh, their opponent run away, uh was uh was a big deal in six when it was more powerful. I think eighth edition players probably aren't used to a like terror and fear having such a big impact. So it's something that even outside of what I just called out is, is I think what Rob's getting at is like they're very useful rules when an opponent isn't immune to them. Mm. Um, this is probably a show in its own right, but I really wanted to call out um, line of sight. Um, and again, in a game of kill points, um, it's really important to think of the fact that you can't kill what you can't see. You can't charge it. You can't shoot at it. And in this particular game, uh, we have what I like to call abstracted line of sight, something that I think in every other game, whether uh, that's 40K and AOS, I think a lot of players kind of wish this was a thing. And what this means is uh, if a straight, uninterrupted line can be drawn from within the model's vision arc to any part of the other model, there is a line of sight. If no such line can be drawn to the other model due to intervening terrain or without crossing over or through another model, there is no line of sight. So that means that if you have, say, a bunch of skirmishers in front of you, or if you just have a big line of open order infantry or whatever in front of your front lines, the opponent cannot see over that line. So uh, that, see, that, I think I think the only thing is you might be able to see through skirmishers if you have like uh, a, it's oh. model by model. So like if if you were to like checkerboard arrange them, uh, if you were to unless there's a rule that actually calls that out, we can maybe put a pin in it. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm pretty sure they can be arranged so that they cannot be seen through. And it might be also possible for you to see through or charge through things. There's stuff that modifies this, but as a general principle, I think it's important to realize that you can control what your opponent sees with your own units. Um, there are there are things that remove uh, this this qualification. For example, being on a hill, being a large target, the, that makes it harder to screen. But you are able to protect your models from line of sight using your own models and terrain on the table. And that I think is a real big game changer for a really important thing in kill points, which is resiliency. Um, 
you know, you are able to basically make your your models uh, not 100%, but in a lot of cases, much harder to be received damage, especially from range, simply by how you arrange and screen your army. And that's something I think really important uh, to remember. And that there's, there's even a notation on this. Note that models and units always block line of sight. Um, and that's why, for example, only normally only the models in the front rank of unit are able to have line of sight if it's a missile troop or whatever. I think this is one of those things that Pete's pointed out uh, for cannons as an example. So uh, like with a cannon, you have to pick a point on the ground. So normally you would say, you would look at a monster, you'd say 10 from the back. However, uh, that means that you would be measuring 10 inches from the back and you'd pick that point on the ground. If that point is covered in models, you can't pick that point. Uh, because there's a model on top of it. So it's, there's there are ways to mitigate cannon fire as well and make it so that it's maybe at least a little bit less effective. Um, some other stuff as well. I've seen, unfortunately, um, uh, like a couple of battle reports and they have played some things wrong, like cannonballs going through multi-wound models as well doesn't happen. There's a bunch of yep. really interesting stuff. So again, movement, board positioning, and understanding how these things interact is going to be very effective in A, up your game and decreasing you know how much your stuff dies by and sure it sounds very techy um and we're going to try and make a load of videos on this stuff and really kind of showcase this we'll put some models on the board we'll actually push some stuff around and we'll try to showcase some of these elements it does also mean bud uh like and i'm sure you've been thinking about this as well that terrain maps and terrain generally is going to be super is gonna really matter um yep. i've had a couple of thoughts about that i'd love to talk to you about that offline at some point but like, i've had some thoughts but Definitely terrain is also going to be really impactful as well. And so if you are even playing some pickup games with your friends, uh, and we will try to make a video about this, so hopefully we'll be able to kind of give like, uh, you know, a guide and then help you out a little bit. But, you know, you're going to have to be conscious of how you do terrain as well so you guys can have a more enjoyable game uh, because I think that's important because there's event stuff and then there's just people playing games at home. And I think that you can really make it so your games are more enjoyable. You can be more effective. And, and line of sight is super important. You're right. We should do We should do more of this. Uh, yes. in the future I, th I, I think yeah calling on line of sight and like making this like a really really big deal again adds tremendous value to screening units the guys who are in front of your army because they're literally able to be a, a, a like a, a force like a shield for the guys behind them also there's rules like impetuous so impetuous is um so sort funny. of a it's a it's a newish rule it's it's a it's an annoying one that's shared by a lot of like elite units i can think of like uh dragon Dragon Princes and High Elves, their elite cavalry. A lot of the elite cavalry has it. And essentially, it used to be if you were frenzied, you would you would have to do a leadership check. If you failed it, you had to charge if you could. Impetuous is not a leadership check. It's actually just a straight four up. Yeah. If you if you roll if you roll the four up, you can act normally. You don't have to charge. If you fail it, if you can charge, you have to charge. That means that you have two options to mitigate that. One, don't be facing things you don't want to wind up having to charge. Uh, so that controls, that's one way to control it. Uh, however, it's tough to maneuver that. But two, you can you can make it so that that unit of Dragon Princes has a unit of, say, Fast Cab in front of it that screen um, that screen their, their front arc from themselves. So they can't see past the unit in front of them. And therefore, even if they fail their impetuous charge, they don't have a valid charge. They can't, they, they don't, they don't have to make one. Mm. Um, so like, Stuff like that, using using screening and line of sight and manipulating line of sight by mo through model placement is going to make this really cool, um, and I'm really, really excited about it. Um, just two quick notes, too. Um, hills and, uh, and, and, and forests are both, if you can consider them, they're like, 
They're like infinitely tall pillars when it comes to blocking line of sight. Even if it's a short hill, if you and your opponent declare it as a hill, um, if you are on either side of it trying to look across it, you can't see. Um, and if you are on the hill, you are not restricted as much by line of sight. You can see over models and intervening things, but the reverse applies as well. You are very vulnerable when you're on a hill, uh, much like everything's vulnerable to you. I think that's super cool. Um, one last note on terrain, which I think, again, um, this is just something to start thinking about in your games because I think a lot of people are still probably going to think, okay, fantasy, just big open field, run at each other. But terrain is going to make things so much more interesting. One other thing would be any difficult or dangerous terrain. If you're charging through it, um, you go from 2d6, pick the highest, to 2d6, pick the lowest, and you get a minus one to your movement value if you're charging through any dangerous or difficult terrain. So that means that defending dangerous and difficult terrain, again, is going to make you a lot harder to you know, get engaged with and makes you a little bit more impervious. So again, probably a whole show on this, but if people are starting to think and wrap around their minds around how their game table is going to look, how they're going to build their armies, these are rules that have tremendous impact to exactly how the game plays on the board. Yeah, and I think that takes it from an average of nine down to an average of five, and you're also taking one off your movement. So basically, a nine to four uh, is basically what we're talking about in Chain of Rangers, which is, which is a big deal. Right, talking about mm -hmm. big deal, uh, because something that was a, a major issue, and again, this is really, really interesting, because I think cavalry is going to be something people focus on a lot at the start of the game, and they might be right, um, but infantry blocks also feel like a, a core element of building old world armies, um, but they had a couple of problems, especially in 8th edition. Obviously, magic templates were the bane of the game. They were awful. Um, but also, you know, a good Dreadquake Mortar from the very real Chaos Dwarf mm -hmm. Army uh, and other such stone-throwing type template weapons were a problem and could really decimate big bricks. So you really had to ask yourself if you're going to have a big brick. But, Bud, you've been doing some deep-dive research, some mathonomics, yeah? You've been doing some trigonometry and some circling the circles and squares. Uh, so what, mm -hmm. is this, uh, what is this circle atop the square image that we've got here? For podcast listeners, uh, we've got a nice little image of... Um, oh, and we'll include a, a link to this deck for people as well. I think that's an easy thing we can do. Sure. Mm. Um, I, I'm sure it's easy. Um Someone. Um, so uh, on this one, this is basically <laughs> template weapons probably suck now, um, especially your old three-inch template, which is, you know, uh, most rock throwers will, will have a three-inch template. And the reason is is a classic. It's a classic here, guys. This is a double nerf by G-Dubs. So the first nerf is that base sizes have gone up. So the smallest base size in the game is 25 millimeters, um, and uh, that's that's a big deal. So like immediately, you know, the, the, the base sizes, each, each, each model that could fit under a template is now about 20% bigger. Is that right? If it yeah. went from 20 to 25, uh, no, 25% bigger. If you go from 20 to 25. Mm. Um, and then in this example, actually you have uh, a side-by-side -side here. That's actually like a perfect example. On the left side, we have a block of orc boys on 25 millimeter bases being hit by a three inch template. In the 8th edition, everything under the template that was touched by it was hit. That meant that on 25-millimeter bases, uh, with a 3-inch template over the unit, 14 hits are generated on this. In the old world example, you now have those same 25-millimeters on 30-millimeter bases, and anything that's touched and not completely covered by the, uh, the template is only at risk of being hit. That means that they're hit on a 4+. Which means if you're, and you also have to center, this is interesting, you have to center the template over the middle of the unit before you scatter it. 
Um, so that means that in this particular case, only one model is guaranteed to be hit, the one that's right underneath the, the center of the template. Everyone else is at risk to be hit. And if my math is correct, that means that after you roll your four ups, you're getting five-ish hits. That means you're getting one-third of the potential uh, hits that you would have from 8th edition, and it gets worse because of all that stuff that I said about line of sight. Um, a lot of the times, you're probably going to have the line of sight from the mortar or from the rock thrower obscured by intervening targets, and you have to fire using the bombardment rule or indirectly, I guess, is another way of, of saying that, which means that that template's always going to scatter. It's going to start in the middle, but it's always going to scatter um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a given direction away from the center of the unit, which means that you're probably not going to have uh, the entire template over uh, a model in the unit. So template weapons, in general, sure feel like they ain't going to have the punch, and they're probably more likely going to be used for uh, armies that need a way, like maybe don't have cannons. Mm. They're less about being able to hurt bricks of infantry, and they're more about what's under the center of that that template, which is true in previous editions too. They've just lost their ability to clear um, big bricks of, of infantry in a big way. Um, so, yeah. I think this is a really, really good point. I think, like, because those... And again, those bricks... This also relates to um, the the vortexes as well, the magical vortexes, uh, because we talked about this. So they're, they're three-inch templates. And the vortex that they... I don't think they sell it in Old World. They used to sell a magical vortex, but I think it's a five-inch... Yeah, those are right? five inch. Like, yeah, they're like little. They're, they're 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 they were for Storm of Magic. I don't know how much they ever got used, but they're cool. Um, but yeah, these these are these are just the three incher. Yeah, so three inches. So they actually don't take up a lot of the board as well compared to the base sizes. So I think I think you're absolutely right. This is this is fascinating. And yeah, those stone throwers maybe are not as effective, which is why you know we talked about earlier. Probably you're going to want cannons uh, because they're effective in their role if able to do it versus stone throwers that probably aren't as effective inside their role. Although generally, I mean, based you on the price... Look at, like like if you have a five... So if you had a, a unit that was five deep, like five ranks deep, like five by five, 25 models, um, and you shot it with a cannon, you're just as... And let's, it's on 30 millimeters. You're just as likely to kill five... You're probably more likely to kill five guys shooting straight through it than you are dropping a rock on it. Mm. Because you're only getting five hits with with the thing. So you got to wound all five too. So anyway, it's, it's it's interesting that like rock throwers, stone throwers, those types of template weapons. I think just the takeaway is it's probably more about like how much damage is it dealing to that middle thing, and it's probably you're trying to drop rocks on big single unit uh, entities like monsters and things like that. The op the option of dropping it on a unit is not really going to be a very favorable use of your time by the looks of it. I got to say, I'm pro this. I think the idea that I put a bunch of infantry down and a single good, well-aimed mortar just takes them out really detracted from the game. I'm going to say I'm pro this. Is this does this Depends. mean that we don't have a way to deal with you know large bricks? I don't know. Like you know that we'll see what that comes out in the wash. Also, I'm less likely to. I mean, I never argue with people anyway. I just put the template there and I'd say how many did yeah. I hit? How many did I hit? Yeah, yeah, you choose. You choose that 100%. way. We never have to discuss this. Sure, someone could abuse it, but then I don't want to play that person ever. Do you know what I mean? Like we so. got it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we can wrap up. I think I just have a couple quick quick hitters here. Sorry to rush it. at the end, but. Um, if we go down to charge and stuff, yeah. Um, we've got um, one thing that actually I noticed that I maybe other people have noticed, but I definitely missed is that charge reactions 
Um, so it used to be that you would declare your charge and then your opponent would declare their charge reaction. You'd resolve that and then you'd move on to the next charge that you'd declare. Now you declare all of your charges and then your opponent declares all of their charge reactions. So that's, that's again, if you're a fantasy player, that is, a, that is, I think, a pretty significant tweak, especially since you can make charge. So you can declare charges that are impossible at the time that you declare it. If it's possible for, say, a unit to get out of its way um, and like clear a path to the to, to a unit, like uh, if you know someone, if I charge out of the way, or maybe one of your units flees, and now there's that opportunity. So it's going to be interesting, like the way you declare your charges um, and the way you do your charge reactions. Will, it will just be an interesting little meta game. Um, I have already actually covered charging through terrain. I forgot that was on here. Uh, and then my final point. Because this is actually something that I think caused some consternation with the original um, Almanac about movement and charges, which was that uh, in 8th uh, edition, not previous ones, uh, the wheel to maximize your frontage when you're charging, because you have to charge in a way that gets as many of your guys into combat with your opponent, uh, the wheel counts as, as part of your movement. So let's say that to maximize, so let's say you had a 10-inch charge, but to get everyone tilted so that they're they're going to line up and and have the most amount of people in combat is you know two a two inch wheel well now you only have eight inches that you can cover the distance with uh so that was going to cause some consternation however what's interesting is that maneuvering during a charge note that a charging unit does not have to complete its wheel if doing so would cause it to make a failed charge so essentially the wheel comes from any excess movement that you have as opposed to, um, so for example, if you have a 10 inch charge and you're just like kitty corner to them, you can only catch, like, if you charge straight ahead, you, like you would, you would be in base contact with one other model. If, if you roll a 10 on that 10 inch charge and that's all the movement you have, you can't wheel to try and maximize your frontage at all. Then those two guys are, are, are the only ones who get into combat. There is no wheel and you don't fail it. Yeah. If that makes any sense. It does. It um, does. So, so um, that I think is again another important thing to think about. Where when maybe you're trying to, of course, everyone who's not in base combat combat can still lend attacks. They can do supporting attacks. But if it's say a big scary unit of multi attack monsters with frenzy and all that kind of stuff, mitigating the amount of people who are actually in base to base contact with you is a huge deal because that means now they're losing a ton of attacks because all of the remainder of their attacks are going to be supporting attacks. Yeah, we'll try um, to make, so, we'll try to make a flowchart for people because I think like so some of the things I'm doing for some of my overview stuff is that there are rules in several different places uh, for some things that don't really need to be in several different places, uh, even though there are USRs. So I think putting some of that stuff condensed into single pages or a couple of pages for people, something we at Squarebast will try very hard to do in the future, um, and then uh, you know and put that all together for everyone. This is a great little overview, though, Bud. Uh, I appreciate all of these thoughts. Um, is there anything else you think people should be you know looking through, or do you think it's still just like a, a core deep? Because obviously everyone's just been running straight to what do the units do, but if you don't really know how how those things interact that's kind of important right um i think well this was basically uh, all pulled from the first half of the book plus usrs mm. so things like formations um actual the, the the various um you know unit type rules so like the difference between heavy cavalry cavalry and light cavalry and all those sort of unique um things they're all gonna have really interesting things to tease out of them. So maybe we do another one of these after we hit up magic magic in general too, is going to have a lot of, um, interesting and important yeah, I'm doing nuances. That today. Yeah. 
Um, I so I think like one big thing about magic that uh, Pete the Falcon pointed out to me in a chat was that like a hex or an enchantment cannot be cast on a unit that's engaged in combat. So if you, uh, if apart if, from ones if, that if you, can, like yes, uh, okay, apart from ones ones that can, but like itchy nuisance for example, which is a really great debuff uh, that the goblos have, the goblins have that I was really really excited for. I'm pretty sure that once once a unit is in combat, uh, you can't cast it again. Um, so like there's lots of stuff where and also casters can't cast if they march. Um, casters, uh, you know, require like uh, for magic missiles require line of sight. Um, anyway, there's all kinds of of good nuances there that will definitely change the, the power level of something that you see. Um, uh, one thing I don't about. know, I don't know if you know this yet or if anyone in the chat knows, but is there a limit on the number of magical vortexes I can do? Because if not, I have a plan. <laughs> I think that the, the limit would be how many magical vortexes you have to cast. So my first question would be how many magical vortex signature spells are there? Uh, because if there are magical vortex signature spells out there, then you could just fill the board with magical vortexes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that's fun because I think because again, a couple of caster bunkers. The way magic works now, I think there's. I think that I think interestingly, they've increased how much you're likely to see very caster heavy armies. But while they'll be effective, they won't be as singular as a purple sun. You know, like mm -hmm. there'll there'll be a lot more things happening from a lot more places. I definitely desperately want to deep dive what a you know two d six fireball or some sort of magic missile. You know, their effectiveness versus, uh, you know, if I pay 90 points, 110 points for a level two wizard, which is definitely yep. going to gain access to a 2d6 spell, you know, a 2d6 magic missile, what does that compare to, to 120 points of light, you know, small arms fire, like crossbows or handguns? Because I'm pretty certain that the magician wins out most of the time because I'm not rolling to here. I've just got to cast a spell. Once I've you cast got to get it off. Yeah. And a like, level two and a level two is, is going to be at a big disadvantage in dispels. One thing I'd love for that, for that particular chat. Hey, Patreon members, anyone who's got this, can someone do the math on um, basically like if, uh, if a level one is going to be casting versus a level four, uh, like what the odds of getting that off is. Like, like, so how, do, how much, how, how much of a, of a, of a, of a, of a possibility do you have to ever beat someone who's getting plus four and you're only getting a plus one? Um, anyway, I, I do this, this, we have so many things to cover, but, um, we'll talk magic in great detail on Thursday. Um, and I do have to run my dear boy. Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure chat. Thank you very much. If you have supported the show on Patreon, thank you. Thank you for all the lovely YouTube comments. Thank you for all the amazing subscribers. Thank you to everyone who, on the podcast, the secret untouched, uh, loads of love to all of you. Thanks for the reviews and sharing it. Definitely don't post any of these videos places. They're not meant to be posted like Facebook groups, discords, <laughs> and all those other places. Don't just virally create, uh, a wave of square based goodness. And thank you for being square blessed. Uh, thank you to Val. Thank you to everyone in the chat. Loads of love. Goodbye.